I'm just really excited to see what the Lord's going to do tonight. I just want you to lend your ears. And I want you to be focused and ready because this information that we need to know, I'm fired up. Um, because I want to know. And I want to receive. And so, um, Jeremy, why don't you come up? Why don't you come up, brother? Um, let's give Jeremy a hand up. Yep. This brother here um, also helps out with the children's ministry in a powerful way. And this guy brought the idea, one of the things that touched me more than ever, he came and said, Josh, would you, you know, I'd like to have the, would it be alright if we had the kids pray for you? Oh, oh, you better believe it. Because I want that childlike faith, man. They, when children pray, they really believe what they're praying. Adults, they're kind of like, oh Lord, maybe this and maybe that. And kids, man, they just believe it wholeheartedly, don't they? They believe anything. And so when they pray, man, they pray and they seek God in a powerful way. And Jeremy brought that to me, bless my heart. He's really becoming a sweet brother, and I know you guys are going to be blessed by him tonight. So let's give our hands and uh, attention and focus to him. Jeremy, huh? All these wires on such a clutch, I might trip over things here. So I, I have to apologize, my voice is a little raspy, and I was... Uh, Worshipping, as I was coming in, I was driving from La Havre from the school where I teach. And so I'm worshipping in the car, and, I'm, and my voice is just going ah, all over the place. And, and then we get here, and, and I'll, you know, I'm just worshipping even more. And, you know, but, but what happens is, all of a sudden, you know, I'm just breaking out in, in praise, and I don't feel the raspiness anymore. I'm sitting over there, and I'm just, I don't feel it. I feel like it's, it's pure. It's just coming from the heart. Like God is just pouring out love and grace and, and just power and fire and and I didn't even feel it. I'm sort of feeling it now, but uh, I think we'll be able to, to get through this tonight. Josh and I were talking, oh, it's been several weeks ago now, um, about a topic that's very, very in the media right now, kind of um, very much talked about. It's an initiative that's coming up, Proposition 8, and it's dealing with homosexuality. And I think that homosexuality is something that the church, what I've seen in my observations, that we don't really quite understand really how to grapple around it. How, how do we deal with it? How do we address it? How do we minister to people who are suffering with, struggling with homosexual tendencies? And in fact, I think it's, it's feared. It's something that's kind of sidestepped, that we kind of push off to the side. In fact, I was in the Harvest Bookstore. I was getting a, a book that I, I really wanted to get up on this topic, and I went up to the one of the ladies up front, and... And I said, uh, can you tell me where, you know, books on homosexuality might be? And I, I didn't know the section. And, and she, she kind of got this little look on her face. And I thought, oh, okay. So I went over, um, you know, she kind of followed me over. And, and I, I don't think she was quite sure. And, and she motioned for one of the, the other ladies to come over. And she said, come over here. She said, come closer. And I was like, well, what's going on, you know? And so, so she said, I didn't want to say this really loud, but he's looking for books on homosexuality. And, uh, you know, it really was a, an eye-opener, an aha, that we, we really don't know necessarily what to do with this. We know where we stand. We know where God's heart is. We know what God's will is, but we don't know necessarily how to deal with it. That's what I want to deal with tonight. And I have four questions. Four questions that I want to deal with tonight specifically that I want to ask and I want to try to 
hopefully give some answers to. This is going to be a very, very short, very, very short snippet of this whole complex issue of homosexuality. But the first question is, is homosexuality God's will? Is it His design? Because many people are asking that right now. Many people are saying, well, it's inborn. It's something that God gave me, right? I was born with this. Is that, is that really true? Well, then, what causes homosexuality? Are we born with it? Or is there something else outside of that that triggers that? Most gay activists would claim that homosexuality just comes. It's not our fault. We can't do anything about it. They can't, they can't change it. But can they? Is it possible? Is it changeable? And if so, how? How is it? And then how should the church, how should you and I, how should the body of Christ respond to this? I was speaking with uh, another friend of mine probably about a week ago or so about this topic of homosexuality and she had just met one of her friends uh, who just kind of came out and, and was sharing that his struggles with this and it took a lot for him to come to her to say this, to, to admit that he was struggling with this, to admit that he had these what we call homosexual tendencies where there's attractions for the same sex. And she was very scared. She didn't know how to respond. She didn't know how to react. And she kind of responded in a negative, sort of a judgmental, like, like, ooh, you've got cooties type of way. And of course, that really set him back. And it probably pushed him back further and further away from truth that she might have been able to share with him, healing that he might have been able to experience, and transformation that might have come through the power of Christ. So that's what I want to deal with with these four questions. Let me read them one more time. Is homosexuality, is it sanctioned by God? Is it God's will? Is it His design for our life? And ultimately, what does the Bible have to say about it? We're going to look at that first. What causes homosexuality? Is it inborn? Are you really born gay? Or is there something else outside of that? Is homosexuality changeable? Is it changeable? Can one go through living a homosexual lifestyle? And, and most, by the way, people who claim to be gay say that those feelings have come from a very, very early age. They don't remember. They do not remember when they started feeling that. It was from the time that they feel that they were very small or, or born. And then the fourth question again, how should we respond? What should we do? I know... Many of you, if not all of you, are affected by this issue in some way. You have friends, you have colleagues, you have neighbors, and even maybe the person sitting next to you tonight has struggled with this in some way. This is going to be a tough message in many ways. But I want you to stay with, with us here. God's going to pour out and God is going to bless. Will you go before the Father with me, please? Lord, you are so good. You are so good. I love you so much, God. You have come through for me in so many ways in which I haven't deserved, God. I have pushed you out. I have pushed you out. But yet, God, you continue to pursue all of us throughout whatever sin is going on in our life, whatever it is that we have done, you keep after us, God, because you want to bring us into your righteousness. You want to bring us ultimately into your kingdom. You want us to enjoy your presence. You want us to sit with you. You want us to experience your grace and your love to the full. And God, we come before you tonight just asking that you pour your spirit out upon us. Teach us, God. Massage our hearts. 
God, let your word go into the very deepest part, the, the, the bone marrow, God, in us. Let it go deep tonight. May you change us, may you transform us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go to Genesis 2 if you have your Bibles real. Uh, Genesis 2, starting in verse 18. Now this is before the fall. One chapter before. God has created everything. Adam, he's created from the dust of the earth. And Adam has gone and he, all of the animals have come before him and he's gotten to name them. I often wonder how that took place. You know, cow, moo, cow. I don't know how that took place. I'm honest, you know, here they come. He's naming the animals. Let's start in verse 18 here. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all of the beasts of the field and all of the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable suitable helper was to be found. And suitable there means comparable. Something, someone that is just like him. So the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, and he, he took one of the man's ribs, and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. Now let me stop right there. This is a powerful, powerful... I just... I just there's so much right there to, to bring in. He, when we say rib right there, it's actually not rib. The word is... I, I think it's tesla. Is, and it means actually side. It's flesh, and it's bone, and it's everything. It's not just a rib that he pulled out and said, okay, we're going to make a woman out of this. And actually the word made too is, is a word that means fashioned or built. And so it gives you this idea that God is putting together this masterpiece, this beautiful creation that is going to be with man. And he's going to call her woman. And the man said when she comes before him, when God places her there, he breaks out in poetic song. He's like, Oh my gosh, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Verse 23, she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And most translators, commentators would agree that this is very poetic, that this is the first song, the first poem sung or given from a man to a woman. And then 24, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. One flesh. So right here, at the very beginning of creation, we see this definition, this creation of marriage. First it's the creation of earth and the creation of mankind, both male and female. And we see them coming together as one flesh in what we call marriage. And of course Jesus later on in the New Testament, when he defines what marriage is to be about, will we'll repeat these words again later on. Right here is where I want to start with the definition of what we call marriage or relations between a man and a woman. Very, very sacred. Go with me to uh, Leviticus 18. Eighteen. 
18 verse 25, I believe. Eighteen twenty-two. Do not lie with a man as one lies with a woman. That is detestable. And over in Romans one twenty-five twenty-eight, as we kind of get this biblical background of what sexuality, what what God has to say about homosexuality. Romans one twenty-five twenty-eight says they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the man also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. And then go over to 1 Corinthians 6.9. 1 Corinthians 6.9. says, do you know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. And I want you to focus on that. We're going to come back to that later. That is what some of you were, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So we can almost see that we're answering that one question. Is this changeable? Is this, can this be changed? Well, yes, it can be. Because that is what some of them were. But they were washed. There are many pro-gay Christians Christian apologists. The biggest pro-gay church is called the Metropolitan Community Church. It's all over, started by the Reverend Troy Perry uh, back in 1968. Um, A name to, if you hear that name thrown out, you'll know where that comes from. It It has flourished in some ways across the country. And that's what began all of the, the first Pride March, the first gay march was, was done, by, done by him. And he, as well as others in the Christian community, or the gay community, will refute these claims. I don't have time to go into that tonight. There's uh, several things that we can talk about relating to those claims. that They try to twist the scripture around and say, well, this doesn't really pertain to homosexuality at all. But, um, but they actually do. It's pretty, it's pretty glaring. So now the question comes in, how do we become homosexual? How, how does it happen? Is it from birth? Mike Haley um, was, was a young man growing up. He had two older sisters, quite a bit older than him. He was uh, a young boy. His father was a sports store owner. He had high hopes for him to be an athletic guy. He wanted, to be the best fo- he wanted him to be the best football player, basketball player, you name it. He wanted him. He, that was his idea of masculinity for Mike. And Mike really wasn't going that direction. He wasn't feeling that. And so his father, whenever he could get a chance, would kind of pin him down and say, his name was Michael. Michael. He'd say, oh, Michelle, my third daughter. And, you know, kind of put him down. And in, in doing so, he hoped that that would bring him closer to becoming a man and growing up that way. Well, eventually Mike pushed that away. 
He pushed masculinity away. His father was not there for him emotionally in, in any way, really, or very little. Didn't understand him at all. And so Mike um, eventually started to, his family became distant from him. He actually started a relationship with a man. Uh, actually, a man kind of put him under, took him under his wing, took him to places, went to Disneyland with him, um, took him all over the place. And then that man started to sexually abuse him. And for 10 years, for 10 years, he was abused in many different ways, defiled, he felt dirty. But you know what? Proverbs 27 says that when you're hungry for love, even the most bitterest of tasting thing will taste good. If you're full, you don't even want honey. But if you're not, if you're hungry, if you're starving, if you're thirsty, you want whatever's bitter. So that's what happened. And Mike eventually came to school. He was called sissy. He was called fag. He was called every name in the book because he kind of developed the feminine characteristics. He wasn't gay yet at this point or didn't consider himself that, but he started to develop these things in the kids, his peers, even teachers pushed him away and put him down and kind of looked at him strange. What is going on with this young man? And let me step back and say a couple things about um, developmental growth in young kids. When a, and I'm going to speak males here specifically right now. Male homosexuality and female homosexuality are two very, very different things. There are some similarities that cross over, but some differences as well. So when a young boy is born, the first bond is with the maternal, with mommy. And then with, within the first 18 months or so, there needs to be, and of course we want daddy to be there, you know, the whole time, but if he's not, there needs to be a healthy break, not complete break, of course, but a healthy break from the maternal to go over to the paternal, to daddy, hopefully daddy, and then to experience that, that homo-emotional need that all of us have to, to gain acceptance, to gain you know, gender identity with our same-sex parent. And that's something that Mike didn't receive. And so what we were left with then, or what he was left with, was this genity identity deficit. It wasn't homosexuality at this point, but it was a deficit. There was something missing there. Now, Mike got into the gay community and, you know, his life went downhill very, very quickly. And it wasn't until, and I, I can't tell his story very well, it wasn't until Christians who truly tried to understand and just love him, to pull him out of where he was, to love on him, to speak truth to him in a loving, powerful way, that he was slowly able to, to get back on track. And number one, to reaffirm, reaffirm his relationship with Christ, just to, to die to God, to die to Christ. And then Christ began to heal him through a process of transformation through, through specific church ministries, through support groups, through a specific group called Exodus International, which you may or may not be familiar with. But it's probably the, the church's best-kept secret. Exodus ministers specifically to gay men and women who are struggling, asking questions, and wanting to change. And Mike Haley is now the director of gender issues at Focus on the Family, believe it or not. And there are many testimonies and stories like his, and I can't even begin to tell you what his was like 
And I don't have the time to do that here as well. But powerful change did take place in him. And yes, change is possible. So question number three and four, I'm going to kind of put together here. Number three and four, is homosexuality changeable, which we just addressed, and how must we respond now as the body of Christ? What do we do? Look back at that scripture I read before, 1 Corinthians 6, 9. That is what some of you were. There's a list that God gives of, of different sins and things there, and one of them, of course, is homosexuality. That is what you were. And I think we need to look at people as possible changers. God can change them. God, they're not stuck the way that they are. God can do powerful things in them. Go to 2 Peter 3, 9. I'll write that down and, and I'll, I'll just read it here. God does not want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And then, of course, but God has demonstrated his own love for us. That he's, while we were still sinners, he died for us. Folks, I want us to see every opportunity we have with our gay, our lesbian, friends, neighbors, relatives, that there is possibility here. And we need to minister with them. We need to sit beside them and not try to point the finger at them, not try to explain how they feel. Because guess what? Most of the time, you don't choose those feelings. Most of the time, from what I'm hearing from people and what I've what I've experienced in the testimonies that I've heard from those who have been there is that you don't choose those at all. They come, like I said before, from an early age. And then they're developed by certain things, by the putting down of peers, by parents, by the gender deficit, by all of those things. And then, and then all of a sudden you start to kind of, you know, identify with it. Well, I guess I am. Everybody else says I am. So then it must be true. We need to sit with them. We need to sit with them. And we need to try to just love them where they are. And then start speaking truth. Start speaking powerful truth, gently but passionately and boldly. And praying to God for the timing, because sometimes I have a very good friend who is struggling with homosexuality right now, and I haven't made the mistake before of going at it too quickly and too fast and too much. And I have to step back and listen to Father with wisdom. I have to pray for wisdom. I say, okay, God, just let me step back. Help me, help me to know what to do. Help me to know what to say. And I know God is working in him. He is, gosh, every, every time we talk, I see evidence of that. I see God just pouring down his spirit and, and truth and just conviction and, and things are happening. But you know what? It's going to take a while and you got to invest for a, a, a while in someone. It's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen in, in you know, one Sunday sermon. Or It's, it's going to take a while. Are you willing to invest in them? Are you willing to step out in obedience to your Father who loves them and wants to bring them home? We can't be fearful because God has already won the battle. And there are so many different arguments that surround this. They will come at you with, well, you know, the studies show this and the studies show that. And I want to give you just a little bit more background so that you can kind of answer some questions there. There's a study called the 
uh, LeMay was a researcher named LeMay back in 1992, early 90s, that he came out with. And this is what gays and lesbians focus on. This one study, there's actually two of them, but this one study is the big one, that they claim to say, well, you know, this is the way it is, and, you know, we're stuck. And what they did is they tried to compare the a size of a particular part of the brain in heterosexual men and women compared to homosexual men and women. And the study, you know, the study showed that there were several homosexual men that had this smaller, the part of the brain was smaller, and some heterosexual men had it bigger, but not all of them. The study wasn't replicated. It was just a farce, and the, and the com- medical community, the, psycho- the psych- psychological community does not support it or validate it one bit at all. There are studies out there that do not, that do not claim to support this at all. So need to know that. But I think the most important thing besides the scientific facts and all that kind of stuff is just how we reach out to, to these people. When they come into the church, I've heard many pastors speak on this before, um, when they come in the church, are they going to receive a message that is one of hope? Or is it going to be a message that they take as kind of one of, in a sense, finger-pointing or, or whatnot, or, or just not harsh, because we need to speak the truth and we need to speak it boldly. We can't sugarcoat it. We can't do that. But I want to give hope to that person who walks in the room who is struggling with this and says, you know what? There, there is a way out of this. And, you know, we care enough to do that. There's a pastor that, that said, um, um, someone came up to him and said, why can we start a support group for gays and lesbians? And he said, you know what? We... We don't need to do that. Um, you know, we preach the word of God here. Um, we send them home with those truths. They can basically pray about it. And I'll tell you what, my friend has been praying and praying and praying for God to change him because he does not want to be who he is. But he has started to accept things, tried to just say, well, I guess this is who I am. I guess God hates me, and so I'm just going to go out and I'm going to live, you know, the life, be in the world, and party until I get drunk and I'm broken and I'm just, you know, There is hope. And there's so much more that I would love to share with you tonight, but the time is short. And just a couple of resources if you want to jot them down to, to go look at later. Exodus, Exodus.org. I think it's Exodus.org. Exodus International is the name of the group. There's Genesis Counseling right here in Orange County, very close by. And Joe Dallas is the name of the, um, the man, the gentleman who started that, and he came out of a homosexual lifestyle as well. Um, Focus on the Family is a great resource. There's a conference that, um, that I got to attend uh, several years ago called Love One Out, L-O-V-E-W-O-N-O-U-T. Very powerful, powerful conference. And they have it all over the place quite often here in Southern California. Um, if you see it come up, go to it go to it. You will be blessed. Um, there are some others. Uh, go to Focus on the Family. They've got a lot of resources there on, on their website. Family.org. Family.org. If you have questions afterwards, um, I'd be happy to sit down and talk with you. And if you're struggling with this, man, let's talk. You know, if you've got a loved one, family member, let's, let's dialogue on this. Because it's such a complex issue. Issue. So many things surrounding it. But let's get to the bottom of it. 
let's be a catalyst for for the Lord in this. Thank you so much, and just pray with me one more time, please. Lord God, our our hearts are broken for the things that are going on in in our society, the the half-truths, the lies that are being told to people, the broken homes that they're growing up in, God, that create environments where these kind of things happen and, and, and broken people come out of. God, we are all broken. We are all in need of a Savior. God, we all have sins. We all struggle with different things. And homosexuality is one of those things that is out there that people are struggling with, God. But it's one of those most understood, misunderstood things, God. And I pray that you just give us wisdom. Give us wisdom, God, to be able to minister to, to love, to bless people who are struggling with this. May we speak truth boldly. May we speak truth boldly. May we seek out our friends and neighbors that are, gosh, that have dug themselves a, a pit, a hole. May we have the compassion, God, and the boldness to go and be obedient to you in bringing, helping to bring your children home, God. May you go before us. May you work in the hearts of the people. May you give us divine appointments with people, God. And I just ask that we would all think about right now that one person, that one or two people, God, that we know are struggling with this right now. And maybe, God, it's someone in this room right now. May your spirit of blessing, of truth, of just peace, just pour upon this room, God, right now. And may you send it forth from here. And as these people go and they minister and they, and they speak truth, God, may your spirit go before them and be with them. God, I thank you so much for this opportunity and for this time with these sweet brothers and sisters tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, huh? Isn't that great? Praise Father, you know, it, it's, it really is something that we need to be, well, attentive about. I mean, this is something that's happening right now, and it's a big, big deal, you know? In our day and age, and, and, and maybe 20 years ago, it wasn't that big of a deal. But man, it is a huge deal right now, especially in Cali. And, um, gosh, that... That quote that he gave from Proverbs, Jeremy, what is that? I, I, do you know that, that exact? 27, uh, Proverbs 27, 7. And that is a powerful, powerful. I mean, that was revelation in my mind right there. It's this. It, that when someone doesn't have love, no one is loving them. Any ounce, any smidgen of love is the sweetest taste to them. But a person who is loved, honey doesn't even taste good, man. It's truth. And I was thinking to myself, that's exactly what this world is. And you know what? A lot of times... Jeremy hit it on the nose. You know, you don't need to just rail. You know, you don't need to bring the truth necessarily. Truth is good. You need to be sensitive to what you are to say and how to say it. It is the love of God that draws a man to repentance. God is love. 
And I'm telling you that there are people hurting out there, and they are ones who are what? Starving for love. And they're finding love in other places, and so that's where they're going to run run to. And I just, I, I can't even imagine if, if there was a person who said to you or came to you and said, you know, I'm really struggling with this. And it's like, just want to tell you, brother, I love you, man. And you know what? Hold on real quick time. God is a work. He wants to do in you, and I'm telling you that God loves you. Whatever you think, God has a desire to love and draw you close and minister to. And I'm telling you, man, if we would simply be a church that loves, love one another as I've loved you. So you must love one another. By this, all men will know you are my disciples. By what? Your love for one another. And I'm telling you that this is a huge truth that we have got to have stamped on our foreheads. I was thinking, like, if Jesus came in contact with a person who said, um, I'm homosexual, you know, I'm struggling with this. I could see Jesus maybe just kissing him on the cheek, you know, just be like, not scared. I love you. Walk with me. Be my brother. Be my friend. Let me minister to you and love on you. But the church, for some reason, just as Jeremy had said in the bookstore, he's, he's looking for books on homosexuality. <laughs> it's like, come on. This is ridiculous. But this is what the church has come to. Be honest with yourself. We've got to learn very quick. Because this is our society. You know, somebody reached out and loved those hippies a long time ago, which society rejected. Man, something crazy went down. God wants to do the same in our generation. Ty, real quick. Yeah, I just wanted to share a quick story because it's exactly what Jeremy just picked up on about Proverbs. Uh, when I was in New Zealand with Harvest, uh, there was a, you know, I spent a lot of time out on the streets with these street kids who are basically kids 15, 16, 17 years old who live on the street. Um, and uh, one of those kids that I was able to build a real relationship is Nick Kingsley. And I learned from the rest of the kids that, um, no, that Kingsley really had no friends. He was popular, but he had no friends uh, because he was so radical. And one of the things that that was that he was gay. Um, and on Sunday night, the last night of the crusade, I spotted Kingsley and I, I grabbed him and I, I got him to come with us. Uh, we were going back to the hotel and then over to the to the arena where we were going to have the, the harvest crusade where, where Greg Glory was going to preach uh, the gospel. And uh, while we were there about an hour and a half before the thing was actually going to get rolling, uh, Kingsley and I were just talking and, um, you know, I, I didn't let him know that I knew he was homosexual and he wasn't really bringing it up. Uh, but we were talking about love. And... Um, and he pulled out of his wallet two notes, and he handed them to me. And as I was reading them, I, I realized really quickly that these were love letters from his gay lover. And uh, and after I finished reading them, he told me, this is the only love that I have ever been shown. It's the only love that I know. And uh, and that's when it really hit me. Uh, the words of uh, John Piper uh, really rang clear to me. Um, he said that we must love homosexuals more than they love their homosexuality. Wow. And, um, and so I, man, I just really loved on him. And we went away that night. And I 
I've been talking with him on, or uh, you can see what the equivalent of Facebook, which is called Vivo. And we were talking back and forth, and, uh, and he told me that he slipped back into the, the homosexuality because, again, it's all that he knew of love. And uh, I didn't respond for two days because I was so torn. I didn't know what to say. I, I, I was just praying for him so fervently. And, uh, and I emailed him and I told him, I basically told him how much I loved him and how much God loved him uh, in spite of his sin. Um, and that for the past two days I had not just praying for him and really seeking God's face uh, for God to really bring Kingsley to himself. And uh, Kingsley called me from New Zealand a day and a half later uh, to tell me that he had found God's love and was weeping because he was so blown away uh, because you know, that, that love, you know, they, they you know, showed me on those, on those notes was nothing compared to God's love that comes Amen. Amen. Let's praise God for that, huh? We love you, too. Ah, oh, praise Father. It's true, man. You know, it, it just, it brings up even ladies. Girls, Listen. It's a sad thing when a father doesn't show his daughter love in the way that's supposed to be there. I remember John Corson said, boys are difficult to raise, girls are easy. He said, girls, all you do, all the father has to do, is you show them lots and lots and lots of love. Just wrap them around, tell them they're beautiful, and compliment and love them and encourage them. Do all the, because then what? They get all this attention from their father. They won't go looking for attention from any boy, ever. Until the one comes across their eye. And it's it rings so true. And even within the brothers, too, I'm telling you the truth. Brothers, they want to feel loved, you know, they want to feel that compassion. And that's what this world is doing, man. We're just running around searching for love, searching for someone to care for us and to be our friend. And the one who desires to what? Be our friend is the king. I mean, no longer do I call you servant, but I call you friend. I call you brother. What? No, not me. You may be mistaken. God is so good. He is so good. And my walk with God went to another level in my life when I recognized how good and gracious God was. And God is. I remember I made a decision to follow Christ and I was very, very strict on myself and keeping the commands of God and very focused on seeking His face and sharing the gospel and just being very disciplined in my walk. And I just failed over and over and over. And then when I discovered the grace of God, forget about it, man. When I understood what He did for me truly, not just these cliches words like Jesus died on the cross for me, Okay, what's a cross and why did he die? Powerful things. The grace of God is so good. It's something that you should dive into. A quick picture is simply this. You did wrong. And if you did wrong, a nice thing would be what? Just to get off the hook, right? Right? Say you come and burn my house down, and I just say, forgiven. But what if I buy you a house after you've burnt mine down? 
That's grace. That's doing something for someone and giving them when they do not deserve anything. And that is what God has done. You did wrong. Me too. And He has said, I'm going to give you heaven for free. I'm just going to give it to you. I'm giving it to you. You're giving me a house after I burnt yours down, Father. After I crucified, I kneel. I'm the one who messed up. Yeah. That's how good and gracious God is. There is no love like it on this earth. There is no one who even comes close to doing that in your life daily. I guarantee it. No one. No one will ever love you in that way. No one will ever seek you in that way. No one. And that's what God chooses. The creator of the universe says, I want to wash your feet. Absolutely not. If I don't wash your feet, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Wash away. Wash away all my sins. And that is what he has done. We're going to read about the goodness of God here in Psalm 107 if you have your Bibles. Father, we come asking, no Lord, we come thanking you and praising you for how great and awesome and wonderful that you are. And Lord, as we see the psalmist writing about this tonight, I'm blown away. Oh, only if men could see how good you were. Lord, I know that they would fall on their face. There's something stopping them. We ask you to open our eyes tonight to see your goodness. And that we, Lord, would make decisions to turn to you. In Jesus' name, in the name of your Son, Jesus, we ask these things. Amen. Psalm 107, let's dive right in. We don't have time to waste. 43 verses, you better believe it. We're going to get through. Now this, this text here is almost broken up into, I see four, I see a pattern here, you're going to see a pattern, but four different big sections. And uh, let's just start reading, you'll see. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is what? Good. Is God a bummer? Is He lame? No, He's good. Yeah, He is. One of the foundations of Christianity you must understand. When you understand that God is good, you understand that everything that comes from Him and flows through Him is good. Always. So when a situation happens in your life, is that good? It doesn't seem like good to me. God has allowed it. God is making and causing that to happen. It is good. It doesn't seem like good. It's good. God is good. He only does good. He doesn't know how to do anything but good. That's it. God is good. For His mercy endures for how long? Forever. And that's a long time. How many's mercy in here... Is there anybody's mercy in here endure forever? Anyone in here who has mercy that endures forever? Anyone? I don't think so. Your mercy endures for how long? Just a few seconds, huh? Because someone says something to you and you get ticked. And you say, okay, I forgive you. But they do it again and then you get double ticked and it's like, no mercy for you. And then are you going to take them out to lunch and do some grace for them? Absolutely not. You're upset. Your mercy only endures for about five minutes. How long does God's mercy endure? Forever. Forever and ever and ever. And that's a long time. That means God's never going to stop forgiving you, family. What a great God. Is there anybody you would look in the face and say, I will never stop forgiving you for the rest of my life. No matter what you do to me, I will always forgive you. Anyone? Wow. 
And that's the love that God shows. What a great king. I would hope to be able to say that to my mate, honestly. And I hope that's a goal for all of us here in this room. That the day that you get married, you can look in the person's eyes and say, I promise to never stop forgiving you for the rest of my life. Men, you are called to love your wife as what? Christ loved the church. How does he love the church? I will never stop forgiving you. Ever. I love you forever. That's true love. Hollywood? How long do they love? Well, until you do something wrong. Because then what? They don't forgive. You did this, you're out of here. That's not love. That is the world's definition, if I can say that. But God's definition is this. Forever. I will never stop loving you. I will never stop forgiving you. I will never stop pursuing you. That's amazing love. Oh, oh, how can it be that you, my king, would die for me? Huh? It says, For his mercy endures forever, and that's a long time. But verse 2 says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Uh Uh-huh. The scripture worship. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord... Don't shout. Let the redeemed say so. Let the redeemed say so. Let the redeemed say so, say so, say so. Yeah. Let the redeemed say so. And that's what we said, so. Whom he hath redeemed from the land of the enemy, and gathered them out of the lands from the east, from the west, from the north, and from the south. He's gathered who? His redeemed. He's pulled people from everywhere. They wander in the wilderness in the solitary way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainteth in them. Hmm. Hmm. Sound familiar? Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainteth, or fainted in them. Fainted. Have you ever been at a point where you're so hungry and thirsty? Maybe not for food, but for something. In the deepest parts of your soul, you just, I mean, almost want to faint and give up and get out. I've endured it a few times, maybe three in my life. Some heavy times, man, of despair. It's like I'm ready to give up, I'm ready to tap out, I can't take any more. Then, verse 6, they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them out of their distress. Oh, baby. Father. Wow. Isn't that what it takes sometimes for us to cry out to God? Huh? Almost to a place we're about to tap out, and then what? We yell unto Father. We cry out to God. It's the classic thing. Somebody is brought to the end of themselves. Maybe they have done some really bad crime and been put in jail and in prison and are crying out there in their cell to God because they can't take it anymore. And God delivers them. Don't take or don't let and don't allow yourself to have to come to a point where you have to say uncle and God almost forces you to cry out to him. God forbid Why not cry out to God now? I was here in my car last night, driving home after I was teaching basics there at the church I go to, the basics class, and I had something heavy on my heart, 
And I was sitting there, and I had just finished talking to the people about worship and prayer, talking to God. And, and I was just thinking to myself, I, I was talking to the Lord, but I wasn't talking verbally. I wasn't enunciating words with my mouth. And I'm like, Josh, what are you doing, man? Why don't you just cry out to God? Lay the situation at His feet. I was like, alright, that's it. And so I did. I turned off the radio, man, and I just yelled to the Lord right there. Father, this is what's going on. I don't want... I started talking to Father, just pouring my heart out. And the word of the Lord came. Specifically. And I wrote it down right there in my journal. And I have two specific words straight from Father. And there is rest in my heart now on the issue, on the topic. What I've noticed in my life, and probably you notice too, is God doesn't deliver and He does not make peace until you cry out. Maybe there's some of you in here who are going through a hard time and God's waiting for you to cry out. Just get on your knees, man. What are you waiting for? Cry out to Father. Call upon His name. He can save you from this. We're going to watch this over and over four times. It says, And He led them forth by the right way, that they may go into a city of habitation. Verse 8, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. This phrase is mentioned four times in this text. Right here, this one. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness. And I say that to you. Oh, only if men would praise God for His goodness. Only. Oh, if men would just praise God for His goodness, don't they see? And for His wondrous works to the children of men. The goodness that He gives to mankind is amazing, and only if they would praise Him for these wonderful works that He does. For He satisfies the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. Did you hear that? What does He do? He satisfies the longing soul. you got a longing soul? He will satisfy. And He fills the hungry soul with goodness. So rich, is it not? God delivers where no man can deliver. God pulls through where no man can pull through. And look at this pattern. We're going to see it over and over and over. We talk about the goodness of God and how great He is and how He fulfills the soul. Then what? Look, verse 10. Such as sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, being bound in affliction and iron. The ones who sit in darkness are what? And in the shadow of death are bound in affliction and iron. The wicked, the one who rebels against God, is bound in affliction and in iron. Did you hear that? It's true. I can say to you right now, if you want to be bound up, if you want to be have affliction upon yourself, and bound as if you feel iron is upon you, rebel against God. Rebel against God. And you will promise to yourself affliction and heaviness as an iron. And it says in verse 11, because they rebelled against the words of God, and contemned, know what that word is, the counsel of the Most High, or challenged, therefore he brought down their hearts with labor, 
and they fell down, and there was none to help. Did you hear that? Because they rebelled against the words of God and the counsel of God, He brought their heart down with labor, heaviness. They fell down and there was none to help. The truth is, you reap what you sow. And I'm telling you, if you do not, even as words go out tonight, and the counsel of God goes forth, and the truth comes forth into your life, if you do not take counsel and apply it to your life, you do not listen to the word of God, I see it time and time again. People come to me and ask for guidance on a certain issue. I tell them exactly, this is what you need to do. You need to repent and you need to turn from that and you need to get out of that situation. I can't do that. Then you will fall and destruction will come upon your life. I remember when I had to look a brother in the face because he said he didn't feel like seeking God anymore. Really? He said, God just isn't satisfying. Well, really? then you go and seek sin and it will destroy you and you will be in a pit and you will cry out to God for help when you are in distress. And when you do, I will pray for you that you be delivered and restored. What does it take for you? If you're in sin right now, family, and something is wrapped around your neck, I'm telling you, if you do not release and you do not get away and cut that off, it will destroy you. And you're going to be in big trouble before you know it. If you're hating on someone about something, you're holding a grudge, it will bite you. It will destroy you. If you can't be honest with somebody about something, you're going to lose. If you're looking at things or hanging out in places or doing, you will lose. You've got to understand the Word of God is telling you the truth. It's not lying to you, it's just telling you the truth. And I found it true in my own life. There are certain things that are very difficult to cut off. And I recognize it's when it even seems impossible. It's almost like the enemy gets in your head in such a way where it's like, I can't do that. How do I get away? It must be cut off. And if it is not, you will lose. I've lost many times in my life because I choose not to listen to the word of the Lord. And then what happens? Yep. There in verse 13, Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and He saves them out of their distress. Isn't that that the story of our life? God does great things for us in our lives. He's good! Then we start rebelling and doing things that we shouldn't. We don't listen to the counsel of God, and we dig ourselves a big hole, huh? And we're in distress, and we're bummed out, and we cry out to God. If I was God, I'd be like, No, stay there. Look what you did. You, you, you didn't listen to me. Aha, told you so. But God doesn't do that, does He? No, He pulls the man out. He saves him. It's almost like I see Father like sitting there in a ship, maybe standing there. Someone is drowning over the edge. Or maybe they say, I'm going to jump. He says, don't jump overboard. Don't do it. He's like, no, I'm going to do it. Don't jump over. There's a fence there. It says big signs, flashing red lights. Don't do it. You will drown. No, I'm doing it. Okay, you jump over and you start to drown. And then what do you do? You start crying for help after you knew you were going to start drowning after you jumped in. 
And God doesn't sit here on the shore and just be like, aha, look at you. Oh, you want me to throw that little orange thing in there, don't you? <laughs> you want me to take that pole and like reach it out, but not going to do it. I'm just going to let you sit there for a while. No. Call upon the name of the Lord and you shall be what? Saved. Wow. What a great God. Wow, you just call upon Him and He will save. Don't call upon Josh Thompson. He's ain't going to save you. I want to look you in the face and see, have you learned your lesson yet? Why don't you drown for about ten more minutes then I'm going to pull you out. Because I want you never to taste of that salt water ever again. Isn't God so great that He saves? Knowing that you will go and rebel against Him again. Knowing that you will go and sin again. He's a great God. There is none like Him. Bottom line. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and break their bands in sunder. Verse 15, are you ready? Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. For He has broken the gates of brass and cut the bars of iron sunder. There it is again. Oh, that men would praise God for His goodness. That is my... It really is the cry of my heart. I'm going to write a song. I really am. I, I, wrote, I wrote down this is going to be part of the chorus. And, uh, and part of the verse is going to be this word, then, that keeps coming up over and over. But it's like the cry of my heart. I just want to yell at the top of my lungs to the nation, You fools! Praise God, He's such a good King. Look it. Praise Him for His goodness. Oh, that man would praise Him for His goodness and His wonderful works. It's like the world looks and sees a man who does so good and mocks him. It's like, you're crazy. He is so good. Verse 17. Fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, are afflicted. Did you hear that? Because of their transgression and because of their iniquity, they are afflicted. Christianity, I mean, sin is a really easy thing. Okay? It's not science. Don't sin, and you won't be afflicted. Sin, and you will be afflicted. Do good, and you're going to do alright. Do bad, and you will lose. Right? I mean, that's like A, B, C, D, F, G. I mean, come on. It's a piece of cake. It's easy as one, two, three. It really is. But we... You've, t- you, you've tasted of it as well, I'm sure. God is speaking to you and saying, Don't do it, Captain. And you're like, uh, Father, I actually know right now that this is wrong. And I can hear your voice telling me that it's wrong. And I'm going to do it anyways. And then you go and you, you think that thing or say that thing or act out that thing. And you feel so guilty because you knew it was wrong and you chose to do it anyways. And then the repercussions come upon you and you're ticked. But you did it to yourself. It's so funny how people try to justify everything that they do. I catch myself all the time. I catch myself in the end. It's so funny how people try to act as if it wasn't that bad of a thing to do. I had a little 
skirmish last night with a guy who had a problem with someone. And uh, it was one of the leaders, and I had to. I was talking to this guy, and he was really upset because one of the leaders offended him and all this, and so I was talking with him. And before we went any further, I just looked him in the face and said, Listen, you want to talk to me right now and tell me all these things about this person who did this to you. But first, before we start talking about it, I want to know, are you being biased towards yourself? And are you angry inside of this person? And if you are, then how can I trust the things you're even saying because you are not being honest and truthful? You want me to hear your side. And instantly he said, sat there for a second and said, you know what, I am upset right now and I'm not being honest and the truth is, is I was a jerk too. And I didn't do what I was supposed to in that situation either. All the time we are trying to justify these things. The Christian life many times is us not being honest with ourselves. How do you cure that? You get a friend who looks into your life and says, wrong. That's a bummer. I don't like people telling me I'm wrong. Well, you are. And I would encourage you, I would encourage you family to have people around you that you can be honest with and they can look you in the face and say, you're wrong. And you are not doing what's right. And you need to repent of that. And you need to go and do this. The mad scientist who sits there in his basement goes crazy because he talks to no one. Don't be a person who does not talk to people about your problems and your issues and your situation because you always think you're right. And so you find yourself always thinking you're right, never talking to anyone, and what happens? You never get rebuked and you never get pushed in the right direction. And so you sit there in your puddle of whatever, sitting there thinking, He did this to me, and they did that wrong, and I can't even believe he did that. And I'm going to go tell on him, and I'm going to go talk to somebody else, and I'm going to go talk to Josh Thompson and see what he has to say about it. I'm just going to tell my side, because that's what's really going on. You see, it's very important that we are people that recognize we need brothers and sisters around us to keep us in check. Their transgressions and their iniquities did what? Afflicted them. If you choose not to confess, don't come crying when your sins afflict you. Because it's going to happen. You're going to get caught. It's going to happen. You reap what you sow, bottom line. The Bible tells us that. God is not mocked. Whatever man sows, that he will reap. Verse 18 their soul abhorreth all manner of meat, and they draw near unto the gates of death. But guess what? Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and He what? Saves them out of their distresses. <laughs> oh, Father, You're so good. He sent His word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. You destroy yourself, and God saves you. I just, you know, that is the story of my life. I do wrong, and God delivers me and still uses me. I don't get it. I'm telling you the truth. He sent His Word and healed them 
and deliver them from their destructions. Verse 21, you ready? Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness, for His wonderful works to the children of men, and let them sacrifice sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare His works with rejoicing. We've got to praise God, man. He is such a good king. Verse 23, that they go down to the sea. Oh, get ready for this. This is a great picture. A storm. They that go down into the sea in ships that do business in great waters, they see the works of the Lord and His wonders in the deep. For He commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind, which lifteth up the waves thereof. They mount up to the heaven, and they go down again to the depths. Their soul is melted because of the trouble. Have you ever been on a ship? If you haven't, that's exactly what happens. I mean, especially if you get in a storm, it's like, man, you're going to go up and come down. You're going to go up to the top of the heavens and crash down as fast as you can to the depths of the sea. You'll jump 200, 300 feet high and low in a second. Because that's how fast the waves are moving. I've never been in anything like that. I'm sure you've seen pictures on TV. This is what it's describing. It says, what happens to their souls? They're melted because of their trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like drunk men and are at their wit's end. And then what? Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble. And what? He brings them out of their distress. <laughs> Again, Father. He make the storm a calm so that the waves thereof are still. Still. And they, then are they glad because they be quiet. So he bringeth them unto their desired heaven. Oh, that man would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them exalt him also in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. He turns rivers into wilderness and water springs into dry ground, a fruitful land, into barrenness, for the wickedness of them that dwell therein. Oh, God is absolutely good. But He says here in this place, being good, that He can take a very watered land, and because of the people's wickedness, make it a dry land. I feel that's what's happening to America, to be honest. We are a people that have been very successful and very blessed here in this nation. And what are we now doing? Kicking God out of everything. So God says, you don't want me here? You don't want the blessing? Okay, I will leave. And we are losing. It is happening, even now. He turned the wilderness into a standing water, dry ground, into water springs. And there he maketh the hungry to dwell, that they may prepare a city for habitation. And sow the fields and plant vineyards which may yield fruit of increase. He blesseth them also that they, multi- they are multiplied greatly. And suffer not their cattle to grease. Again, they are minished and brought low through oppression, affliction, and sorrow. He poureth contempt upon princes and causeth them to wander in the wilderness where there is no way. Yet settleth he the poor on high from affliction, and marketh his families like a flock. The righteous shall see it, and rejoice, and all iniquity shall stop her mouth. Whosoever is wise, did you hear this? Whosoever is wise, check that. 
whosoever is wise and will observe these things, even they shall understand the loving kindness of the Lord. God says in closing, If there is anyone wise, whoever is wise will listen to these things and understand the loving kindness and goodness of God. Listen, family. Guys, get this, okay? I know there's a lot of information gone out tonight. Get this. Get this wisdom. Understand this at a young age. Understand the loving kindness and the goodness of the Lord. That even though you rebel against Him in your sin, He is going to be there to reach His hand out to you every single time. Does that mean you should keep sinning? If you want to, go for it. And you'll destroy yourself. And you'll be depressed and bummed out and bitter. It's your your choice. Will God forgive me? Yeah, He will. He's a gracious King. Do you want to destroy yourself? Go for it. But I don't think anybody who has ever gone down the road of sin has ever said to themselves, wish I would have done that again. They're always saying, I don't want to do any of that, and I hate that, and I hate what I've become. And look at I've wasted 20 years of partying, and finally I've given my life to God. I want to live first. Okay. What you're really saying is not live, you want to destroy yourself first, then start living. It's okay, you can do that if you want to, but I beg and plead with you, don't. Because there are many people in this room who will testify and shake you by the throat and say, please, get out of there. Don't run towards sin. Get as far away from it as you can, because it will destroy you. But understand this principle. Understand this principle. Understand this principle. When you get in trouble, or when you sin, God will reach His hand down from heaven and deliver you every single time. And that is how good He is, and He deserves to be praised for that. And that's why He says, Oh, that men would praise God for His goodness and His wonderful works that He does. God wants to do that for you tonight. The one secret to David's life is that he never stopped repenting. Don't ever stop repenting. Don't ever stop turning back to God. I think that's one of the secrets to my life. I think that's the only reason why God has used me is because I'm a screw-up. I fail daily. You want to know what I just keep doing? I just keep repenting. I just keep repenting and coming back to God and coming back to God and coming back to God. I'm going to keep walking with Him. I'm going to keep moving forward and nothing is going to get in my way. Ever. Ever. And the more I sin, the more I learn that I don't want to sin anymore. And the more I recognize how good God is, man, the less I want to sin. I just hate offending my king. He's been so good to me, you know? You can only slap somebody in the face so many times. It's wrong. I've done a lot. Recognize the goodness of God and walk in that grace. Amen? Just enjoy it. It's a blessing. Let me pray for us. Father, wow, you're a great king. And Lord, we recognize your goodness and your wonderful works to us. Look at these. Look at this room. A room of a bunch of losers, 
screw-ups, sinners, Lord. And you say, those are my people. That's the ones I love. That's who I'm going to use. And we say, Lord, wow, I'm just in awe. Are you sure? Are you sure you got the right guys? Lord, we're just so thankful and blown away that you would use us and that you would work through us, the foolish things of this world. We're not smart, we're not educated, we're not, we just don't have what it takes uh, to really do great works. It's you and you alone who does it. And so we're very grateful that you continue to save us despite the fact we rebel. Father, I pray that and I ask that you would give us new hearts. Hearts that want to serve you and hearts that want to live for you for the rest of our lives. Even now in this moment, Father, would you reach down from heaven and touch those that say, God, that's me. Father, save me. Pull me out of the water. I screwed up again. Just deliver me, King. I give my life to you and I just want to keep serving you. I, I repent again and again and again and again. And so, Father, we lay ourselves at your feet tonight. And we have not forgotten your goodness. And oh, that men would know the goodness of God. We know it tonight, Father. As much as we can know, we want to know it tonight. And we have not forgotten your great works that have happened in our lives. We have not forgotten the great things you've done for us. And so we choose to lift up your name and glorify you. I'm just going to sing a song. You can just let it uh, minister to your heart as your eyes are closed. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me thy grace, salvation, so rich and free. We're thankful that you saved us for free, King. You paid the price and gave it to us for free. And we are thankful. Love you, Lord. Bless your people as they go, please. In Jesus' name, the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen, amen, amen. Amen. Uh, well, a lot of stuff we've taken in tonight. Please, if you have questions, I would encourage you to go and ask Jeremy. I know he'd be blessed to minister and to answer and to help out in any way. Maybe you have a friend going through something, or you just have a question, man, take advantage, huh? And, um, thanks for staying with me, guys. I know it was a long night. Love you guys, man. I just want the best for you. I really do. And so, uh, Lord be with you as you go. And uh, we'll see you next week. Amen?